All right, we would uh, remind you at this time that our children are heading to Children's Church from nursery all the way up through second grade. Uh, Welcome to join uh, our kids heading back to Children's Church. I think they are on their way back here even as we speak. For the rest of us, we are going to be um, in the prophet Isaiah this morning. A little change of pace uh, for the month of November. Uh, Today, we're going to read from Isaiah uh, as we kind of celebrate uh, in as much day. Just very quickly, by way of reminder, we will uh, have a meal immediately after the service this morning. Um, You get to watch a video about... Uh, all that happened yesterday, and we're going to maybe give some testimony, some things like that, and we've got a meal prepared for us. Even if you didn't bring anything, even if you didn't participate in as much day yesterday, we still want you to stay and enjoy that meal with us, to have that time of fellowship and just get to celebrate this as a whole church family. Uh, starting next week, we are, are going to be getting into one of the minor prophets. and want to encourage you to be a part of that. And we, we're going to take one of those short little prophets and over the next few weeks, look at them as we uh, eventually give way to the Christmas season. But today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 49, and we're going to be reading the first seven verses of Isaiah 49. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's word. And the word of God says this, it says, Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother he named me. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand he has concealed me. He has also made me a select arrow that he has hidden me in his quiver. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Surely the justice due to me is with the Lord, and my reward is with my God. And now, says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that, I should, that, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy Ones, to the despised, to the one abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, kings will see and arise." Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Please be seated. Have you ever gotten more than you bargained for? And, and specifically, I really mean this in, in, in a good way. Have you ever, in a good way, expected one thing and then gotten way more than you could have possibly expected? This last summer, my family and I got to go on vacation to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And if you know me, I like to eat. It's pretty, I know, it's pretty obvious. I like to hide behind this pulpit, but it's pretty obvious I like to eat. 
And so I'm what they call a food tourist. I like to go places and I like to eat really good food when I go places. And if you, if you know me at all, if you've been, you know, my friend and, and spent time with me and I'm going somewhere that maybe you have been, what I'm going to ask you, I'm not going to ask you what to do. I'm not going to be like, hey, what's fun to do in Gatlinburg? I'm like, where should I eat? Where is the good places to eat? And I will spend far more hours on where I'm going to eat food than I will where I'm going to sleep at night. That's, that's just more important to me. I could sleep in a tent. My children hate that about me, but I could, I could sleep in a tent, but I want to eat good. I like to go to uh, good places to eat. I like to resource, research all of the, the fun places and the food. I want to go to the places that are popular, the places that are like, if you're going here, you have to eat here. And I like to go to the places that are, that are offbeat, that you're not expecting. It's like, hey, do you know that there's really good this kind of food in this area? You should go try this restaurant. I want the, the big places and the off-the-beaten path places and the places that you guys recommend and other people that I know. One of those highly recommended places when we went to Gatlinburg was called, and I don't want like boos and hisses. I know you probably have an opinion, but I don't need it now. Uh, this is not, I mean, you can amen, I guess, whatever. Um, one of the places that we ate was called Crockett's Breakfast Camp. Okay, I got it. Uh-huh. That was, just, that was like an acknowledgement. I was like, mm-hmm, that exists. But we looked at that place. It looked good. I love breakfast. I'm a breakfast food eater. Um, I like to, I like to get up and go breakfast. That comes from my grandfather, really both my grandfather's. My, my grandpa on my dad's side, um, he knew that one of the things that I like to do when I go visit them was go to one of the places in that area um, and, and eat. Uh, believe it or not, one of the big places to eat when I was a kid with my grandpa on my dad's side was in this little town called Eldon, Missouri. And there used to be this place called the Silver Saddle Saloon, which doesn't sound like a place you'd take a kid for breakfast, but it was good. By contrast, though, my grandpa on my mom's side, he loved to go out for breakfast. And one of the special things that we got to do as kids was go out to breakfast with grandpa. And just every so often, my mom would tell me, hey, grandpa is coming to pick you up for breakfast tomorrow, which is usually a Saturday. And it was like, yes. And my grandfather knew, I thought, I think he was just friendly. I thought my grandpa knew every waitress at every diner in Columbia, Missouri. And they like they knew him, they were friendly, and we would go out to eat. And my grandpa was the type of guy that that would you'd order your food and he'd order his food. And since I was like six, I would eat maybe half of that food and he would eat his food and then finish my food. Did you guys have a grandpa like that? Did you guys become a grandpa like that? Because that like I'm I'm well on my way. And so we would go, and so I love going out to breakfast. I'm telling way too many side stories. I apologize. And so we go to the Crockett Breakfast Camp, and we go to eat there, and we go in, and man, this place is, it's big, and you can tell it's one of those places that really kind of like, like caters to the tourists that come into Gatlinburg. And so we go in, and right off the bat, they're, they're just, they, you know, they just very, very, very casually come by with those ginormous cinnamon rolls and just kind of go, oh, looky here. And so we got a giant cinnamon roll uh, and, and all this big food and all of this stuff. And, and we sit down and we start to, to look at the menu and everything looks good. 
And, and once the kind of analysis paralysis wore off that we just looked at this massive menu and all this food, um, which is still all the same food that we always see, biscuits and gravy, sausage, bacon, eggs, all that omelets, all that good stuff, we started to order. And I ordered what was on the menu that was called the Hungry Hunter's Hunt Camp Skillet. It was big, dead center of the thing, and, and I looked at it, and it looked like it had just a little bit of everything. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, and I thought, well, if I want to, you know, really try this place, and I don't know if I'm ever coming back here again, if I want to try this place, this is going to have a little bit of everything. I'll get this because it has a little bit of everything. I was wrong. That skillet did not have a little bit of everything. That skillet had a lot bit of everything. And as the people came to deliver our food and they put a regular size plate in front of my wife and a regular size plate in front of my daughters and a little plate in front of my son, suddenly a completely separate waitress shows up carrying a skillet with both hands. And I looked at this and I'm telling you, this skillet could have knocked out a bear. It was the largest thing I had ever seen. And as they, they lowered this thing down in front of me, it had all of this food. This skillet was this wide. And I was excited because I had biscuits and gravy and all that. stuff. So I think my children were embarrassed. But I, I stopped caring about that a long time ago. And it was just, this could have fed our entire family. It could have fed me for the entire day. And yet it was just for me for breakfast and boy was it good because i have never been one to back down from a challenge now right now you're probably thinking two things about this story first off how dare you start talking about food when we are this close to lunchtime and making me picture all of this wonderful breakfast food but also what on earth does this have to do with our passage today in our passage today isaiah is writing um, to Israel. And he is telling them and he is encouraging him. And, and, and at this point in time in the history of Israel, uh, as Isaiah is writing, the northern kingdom is gone. And so by this point in time, the nation of Israel that we had under David and Solomon has ceased to exist. And there was two nations for a while. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom kept the name Israel though it was called a couple of other things throughout the, the scriptures. And then the southern kingdom was called Judah. By this point in, in, in Isaiah's writings and in his prophecies, the northern kingdom is gone. The northern kingdom has been taken over by the Assyrians. It no longer exists. Uh, the people of Israel are, are dispersed and, and they're gone. But Judah is still there. But Judah is not living for the Lord. Judah is off doing their own thing. And, and the prophet has spent a significant portion of the book of Isaiah letting them know that bad things are coming because they are far away from God. But as we come into this latter part uh, of this book, of his writings, and in this latter part of his proclamations to the nation of Israel, Isaiah is now offering hope for a better future once the bad things have come to pass. In our passage today, God reveals that he is going to be doing far more in the restoration of Israel than they could even have hoped for. 
So let's look into our passage today. And our passage today begins with kind of the calling and, and the, the establishment of this special servant. Now, at first glance, we look at this and we might look at verse three that says, for I said to him, you are my servant Israel to in whom I will show my glory. And we may think that, that the prophet Isaiah is actually talking about the nation of Israel. But if we look further down in the passage, if we look at something like, say, verse 5, he says that this servant is going to bring back Jacob and that he is going to gather Israel to him. And so there's this idea here that whoever, whoever he's talking about, whoever this servant is, is intimately connected with Israel but is not the nation of Israel, but rather an individual that is going to come into the nation of Israel in order to restore the nation of Israel. So who is Isaiah talking about? It is a great question. In fact, it is the same question that we see answered all the way over in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 8, we are introduced to the ministry of a man by the name of Philip. Now, Philip, I like Philip a lot because Philip isn't Paul. Philip's not Paul. Philip's not Peter. He's not James or John or Andrew. He's not one of the 12 disciples at all. Philip, we get introduced to Philip in, the, in, in Acts chapter 6 when the, a, a dispute and a problem arises in the church. And this dispute and this problem that arises in the church is there are, are two groups of, of widows and, and one of them's getting fed, but the other one's not. And, and they have to solve a dispute. And so they ultimately decide to, to enlist and, and to call up some men who will be in charge of this task and will take care of, of the widows and take care of other things so that the disciples, so that the apostles can focus on doing ministry and the work. We know those people today as deacons. But Philip does not limit himself to just passing out food. You know, we might say things today like stay in your lane, but Philip is not a guy who stays in his lane and he continues to do ministry and continues to, to proclaim the good news and he just does the work of someone who is a follower of Jesus. And even though he has this title of deacon and he has a responsibilities, these responsibilities that go with that office and with that role, he knows that, that before even that, he's a follower of Jesus who is called to fulfill the Great Commission. And God uses him in fantastic ways, including an interaction that he has with an Ethiopian eunuch on his way home. Philip, this servant or deacon of the early church, comes to him and, and he's been moved by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit says, hey, go up to the, the caravan and go up to this eunuch and, and, and just go see what he's doing. And so, so Philip does that and as he goes up, he finds the Ethiopian eunuch reading from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 says in it this, it says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as far as his generation, who considered that? He was cut off out from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. Now, in Isaiah 53, you, we might be looking at that and he's reading this and it's about this person who is going to, be, going to be killed and is going to receive the punishment that is actually belongs to the nation of Israel. And if we go back just a few verses in Isaiah 52, verse 13 we are introduced to this person that says, Behold, 
my servant will prosper and he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. It's interesting that the same one that is going to be struck down for the sins that, and the punishment due Israel is the one that is going to be highly exalted. It is also interesting that as we go into our passage, he says that you are my servant in verse 3. And so the servant of Isaiah 49 is also the servant of Isaiah 52 and 53. And we'll even see in a few minutes that it's the servant that Isaiah mentions in Isaiah 42. All of these are talking about the same person. And, and I love it because in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 34, we read this. It's, uh, Philip asks him, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch answers Philip and says, please tell me of whom does the prophet say this? Amen. Of himself or of someone else? And then look at this, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. The servant who was formed in the womb and destined to use his words to call Israel back to God is none other than the one and only Son of God, Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this passage, we begin to realize that first and foremost, that this passage is talking about Jesus, that the, that the messianic king, the, follow, the messianic king like David was also going to be this servant who, who endured all these things and, and who did all of these things, that they are one and the same and that we are talking about Jesus well, that leads us into if this is Jesus who has been, been uh, known beforehand, has been called for this special purpose, look at what it says in verse 4. But I said, I have toiled in vain, and I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity. Now, it would be very easy for us to look at something like this and, and what it's saying about how him toiling in vain and, and it being nothing but vanity and to think in some way, shape, or form that this servant that is mentioned in 49 somehow fails to do what God has commissioned him to do. But if we're talking about Jesus... Can we look at the work and the ministry of Jesus and say that, that it was a failure... Absolutely not. In fact, I, I think a, a better way to understand this passage when he says, um, uh, when he says here, he says, I have toiled in vain and I have spent my strength for nothing and for vanity is not that Jesus fails or that this servant fails, but rather that he is rejected. And even though that he goes to proclaim the good news and he goes to, to proclaim these things and to use the powerful word of God that he has given him to, to appeal to the people and to speak to the people, nevertheless, the people will reject him. As I mentioned already, Isaiah 49 is connected to Isaiah 42. And I want you to notice what it says in Isaiah 42, verse 25. It says, So he poured out on them the heat of his anger and the fierceness of battle. And he set them aflame all around. Yet he, this is Israel, did not recognize it. And it burned him, but he paid no attention. 
In this passage, we see that, that God had brought judgment to his people, that he had given them the, the prophet Isaiah who had proclaimed the good news and, and that he would give them Jesus who would, who would ultimately uh, warn them about the, incoming, the upcoming judgment and the things that would come, and yet they would not recognize him and they would not pay any attention to him. This was Israel's problems in the day of Isaiah and this was Israel's problems in the day of Jesus as well. Here's what Jesus had to say about the rejection of of his rejection by his own people. Matthew 21, starting in verse 42, we read this. It says, Jesus said to them, did you ever read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. See, even though Jesus was rejected and even though he would go to his own people and he would proclaim the good news of the gospel and and call the people to repent, even though he would do that to his own people, it would be his own people that ultimately rejected him. So much so that he said that the kingdom of God would be taken away from them and given to those who bear fruit. This is the very thing that would ultimately exceed the expectations of both Israel in Isaiah's time and in Jesus' time as well. See, if we go back to Isaiah 49 verse 4, it says that I have toiled in vain and I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. And he said, yet surely the justice due to me is with the Lord and my reward will be with God. And then the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant And to bring back Jacob to him so that Israel might be gathered to him for I'm honored in the sight of the Lord God and and my God is my strength. He says that it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Did you hear that? Think about that for just a second. It is too small that you just restore Jacob and that you just bring Jacob back into a right relationship to me, but rather you will be even a light unto the nations so that every corner of the earth might experience my salvation. He will, God will restore all of the nations even to the ends of the earth back to God. This is more than just a restoration of God's covenant with Israel. This is a restoration of all of creation. God is bringing all back to himself. And what's so amazing about this as we hear this in in the prophet Isaiah is that this was always God's plan. It wasn't that God's vision was too small and now was bigger. It was that Israel's vision was too small and now is bigger. See, that happens, I think, with us too, is when we think about what God can do, we often think about what God can do in a very small way. Like we think what God can do is he can do these certain things. Like if we pray, we can, he can pray for these things. Dear God, help my friend get over his strep throat. Great prayer. Nothing wrong with that prayer. It is small. Dear God, just let my children say a prayer of salvation so that I know they go to heaven one day. Great prayer. Wonderful prayer. Too small. 
Dear God, just help my church be healthy and, 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 and just be able to pay all the bills. Great prayer. Wonderful prayer. Too small. God is telling them, listen, what you want and what you're hoping for is that Israel gets restored, that Israel comes back together, that Israel comes back to a time of prosperity. Great prayer. Wonderful prayer. Too small. And God says, this is what I want to do. This is what the plan is. This has been the plan from the beginning. Not that we have an Israel who is, who is safe and secure and restored and healthy, but that all of the nations of all of the earth, that all of creation would be redeemed back to be, would be made whole and perfect, free from sin for all eternity. That is what God is doing. For us today, we, we want to put God in such a small thing. We shouldn't just be praying that God does these little bitty things, but say, God, I want to see your spirit go out on my city, on my state, on my nation in such a way that revival comes forth and people get saved and the church does what the church was created to do. That's what we're thinking. And, and man, think about the people in your life. There are probably people that you love in your life that you have no idea how God's going to get to them. Amen? And they are, they are, maybe they're hostile towards the gospel. Maybe they hate God. Maybe they reject Him wholeheartedly and they want nothing to do with Him. And maybe, maybe they're just people that you see and you don't know and you have no idea how to reach them. And, and, and why are we not praying for them? Father God, my brother hates you. He wants nothing to do with you. And I have no idea what it will take to see my brother come to saving faith. God, do a work in my brother's heart. God, help me to minister to him and preach the, the gospel to him in a way that he will hear it and that he will respond. God, I pray that you will stir up my brother's soul so that he will feel his lostness and he will respond in saving faith. God, there's an apartment complex being built a mile from my house. And God, I don't know who lives there. And I don't know how the people in there will ever hear the gospel. But God, I pray that you would do a work in that apartment complex. And God, that the, the dozens and if not hundreds of people that are going to live in that apartment complex will hear the good news of the gospel and they will respond in saving faith. Lord, save that apartment complex. Lord, there's a college in my community. And I know that there are a bunch of students over there, and, and, and those students don't look like other students. Those students are sometimes single mothers. Those people are going back for their education later in life, that their people getting certified so that they can work in factories. And God, I know a lot of the people that are living over there are living lives of quiet desperation. And they're vainly hoping that a degree will give their life meaning and purpose. God, I pray that you would redeem our college campus. And God, that the gospel would go forth in there and that people would hear the good news and that they would be saved and that a revival would break out at our local community college. Guys, 
God can do far more than we give him the, the than we we give him credit for. And God is working in ways far beyond that we could possibly even hope to imagine. And we can pray big prayers trusting that God will do a work. Now maybe the scariest part of that for us is that we might be required for that work. That if we pray for our, 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 our co-worker or our family member or whatever, that, that God would do a work in his life, that he's going to have to use, that he's going to use us to do that work. And we're a little scared of that because we don't want Thanksgiving to be awkward. Or maybe it is that we just don't know how God can do it and so we don't think we should ask. But I want you to think about this for a moment. It has always been God's plan to redeem a people for himself. It has always been God's plan that people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation would come to saving faith in him. It has always been his plan. And we're just asking to be a part of it. I want to read to you from Zechariah chapter 2, starting in verse 10. It says this, it says, Sing for joy and be glad, O daughter of Zion. For behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day and they will become my people. Then I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord has hosts, the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. God's salvation will reach the ends of the earth. And what's cool is it has reached our ears today. See, God is doing far more than you can possibly imagine. And even now, if you are in this room today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is calling you to join in his salvation story. First, to experience salvation through faith in Christ. See, the very, the very one that it talks about that, that will be rejected and be betrayed, that he would ultimately be crucified, nailed to a cross, but he would rise from the grave three days later, paying both the price for our sin and giving us new life in him. And what this passage reminds us is, is that not, is not just for a small group of people, but that is for everyone who will hear the good news of the gospel and believe. If you are in this room now and you are hearing the good news of the gospel, you are invited to respond to the gospel in saving faith today. To say that I hear what you are saying and I believe it to be true, that I believe that Jesus really is the Son of God, that He really did die on a cross, that He really did raise from the grave three days later, and He really is coming back again one day. That I believe that in my heart and that I want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. If that is your desire today, we would encourage you to respond to the gospel today. But then also to go and to tell others about all that God has done. It is not enough that God would save only a few. But God has come to save all of creation. And that includes us 
And that includes our friends and our family. That includes our neighbors, our co-workers. It includes the person across the street and the person across the globe. For he has done wonderful and marvelous things. See, it was too small of a thing to just be the Redeemer of Israel. Instead, God is the Redeemer of you and of me if we would just respond in saving faith. We invite you to do that today. Let's pray. My God, my joy, Lord, we praise you that you are the God who, who saves. And that, that, you, that you considered it too small a thing to save just a, a small group of people, to, to save just one tribe in, in one corner of the globe. But God, you saw fit to send your only son to save all of humanity. To save people from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. For the, to go forth to, the, to every corner of the world. And to call people to yourself. Father God, I know that that includes this room right now. And God, if there's anyone in this room right now who needs to give their life to Christ, that needs to surrender themselves to Jesus, Lord, I pray that today is the day that they surrender themselves. And God, that they would walk with you and that they would live with you even unto eternity. Father God, I also know that that means that you have called us and commissioned us to go and make the gospel known. That this good news of the gospel is for the four corners of the world. That is for everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. And therefore, we should take this news to them. God, I pray that we would be a church that prays big prayers. And God, that we would have a desire to see people come to Saving Faith all throughout E-Town, Hardin County, Kentucky, the U.S., and the world. And God, I pray that we would trust you for big things. That you would do big and amazing things. And God, that, that, that whatever your will is, that we will trust you every step of the way. God, that we would not look at you as small and something that can fit into a box. But God, that we would see you as big and the redeemer of all of creation. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.